good morning and happy new year. It's good to be together this morning as uh, Pastor Dennis said as we were praying earlier. Where else would we want to be on a New Year's Day than uh, with God's people in his house? We have a wonderful opportunity as we uh, start a new year to start it on this day uh, in, in the presence of God and his people. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. First day of a new year is always good to look back at what has taken place in the year before and then to look ahead at what the year might hold for us. And for some of us, last year was a, a year that started great and ended poorly. And uh, for others, it started poorly but ended great. Uh, we never know what the Lord has planned for us as we look at the year. It's much like the game yesterday between Kansas State and Alabama. Uh, my, al- my alma mater, Kansas State, started great and ended poorly. Uh, Alabama started poorly and ended great. So I'm not sure what kind of year you had, but it's an opportunity today for us to come look at the Word of God and uh, find out what does He want us to do with this new year that's coming ahead. In Philippians 3, Paul is going to try to remind his friends there in Philippi how they can begin living their lives in a way that's going to be pleasing to Him. Uh, Not dependent on the things that they've tried to accomplish for themselves, but instead being totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to produce in them the kind of life that will be pleasing to God. Uh, Again, in the first part of chapter 3, Paul is going to begin to lay out for them some of the things that he had relied upon. He looks at his own life and lays out a whole series of characteristics for us. And in the latter part of the passage we'll look at today, he comes back to remind us, but it really is worth nothing. It's all rubbish. It's all garbage in comparison. So let's read uh, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, and we'll go through verse 14. If this sounds a little different, I'm using the New American Standard. So, Hear the word of God. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's go to prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for this day. Again, a day where we can stop and examine our lives, examine uh, the year behind and look forward to the year ahead. Father, I pray that as we look at this passage, your spirit would teach us the steps that we can take to have a, a year that will be one that will be pleasing to you. And so, Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Well, in verses 4 to 7, Paul lays out for us things that he has accomplished in his own flesh, in his own strength. And you have the Apostle Paul who spent a lifetime accumulating spiritual prophets and on his ledger sheet filling up that column of prophets. That's what he means in verse 9, that uh, it's the righteousness that he attained by his own works or derived from the law. So he has this prophet column, and he's filled it up with, with all of the things that he has done, which he hopes will earn him salvation. He hopes that by doing all of these things and accomplishing all these things, that that's going to be good enough and that God will, will save him because of his, uh, his efforts that he has made there. But then he says he counts everything that once he saw Jesus Christ, he's going to count everything as loss in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. So look at the list, he says there, beginning in, uh, in verse four, 5. He says, uh, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. That's a pretty impressive resume. And you notice that all of those things are all good things. He doesn't say anything in there that, that was a negative from a human perspective. So Paul had built his life upon trying to do these things that, according to his thoughts, would have attained righteousness and right standing before God. But again, as, as he looked at some of them were inherited qualities. Those were his, his birth and, and the way he was raised. Some of them were accomplished qualities, things that he had done himself. And he said, I've got all of these in my profit column. I've got all of these things uh, that, that count towards my righteousness. But then he comes to uh, the, the conclusion that, you know what? None of it really matters. None of it is going to accomplish anything that I thought they might accomplish. Again, good things, but the thing that was keeping Paul from Jesus weren't bad things. They were the good things. The things he thought were good enough to get him into the presence of God and good enough to keep him in the presence of God. John MacArthur, commenting on this passage, once said, if you could be saved by works, he would have been saved, right? What a list. This guy's got the prophet column filled. And he says, look, I was fine. I had filled up my prophet column with all the things that earned my salvation until I met Christ. And I found that the righteousness of my own wasn't adequate, but there was a righteousness in Christ by grace given to me by faith, received, and that was the pearl of great price, and that was the true treasure. And so I counted all of this other stuff as manure, and I came to Christ. Verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, all the stuff of verses 5 and 6, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. In other words, they aren't a plus, they aren't a positive, they actually are a negative in his standing with God. Why? Because they damn you. They send you to hell under deception, under an illusion, thinking you have right standing with God when you do not. And so I saw them for what they were. They were detractors, they were lost and not gained for the sake of Christ. Now if we're honest, we have some of the same things in our life that we put trust in. Uh, maybe it, it's we, we trust in our family heritage. I was raised in a good Christian family. Uh, maybe it's, it's, it's you, uh, your education, or maybe you say, well, I go to church every week, or maybe you've read the Bible uh, every year. Whatever it may be, that we have things that we put into our profit column. We put things that we say, these are getting me right standing before God and keeping me in good favor with him. Again, Paul, more than anybody else, had an incredible amount in his profit column. And even though he lists all of those things, and if we compare ourselves with Paul, we realize we're not even close to attaining what he had attained in his life. 
But as he looks at all the things in his profit column, he says what? Whatever things were gained to me, all of those things, again, from the fleshly perspective that had lifted him really above most normal human beings, he says it's all loss. It's all loss. All those things that we tried to accomplish really become liabilities in our lives and not assets to us. They are rubbish. Now, the word there in, in verse um, that talks about rubbish is an interesting word. It's a Greek word, skubalon. It's kind of a fun word just to say, skubalon. But the word refers either to human excrement or to garbage thrown away, something that's useless, waste, rejected, filth, or refuse. Now, some Bibles translate it dung, and some translate it manure, and some translate it rubbish. Some might even say garbage. But again, you get the picture. All of these things that Paul has accomplished, all of the things he has in his profit column, he says are scubalon. They're rubbish, they're garbage, they're manure in comparison to knowing Christ. Have you come to the place in your life where you're able to write rubbish across all of your accomplishments in your life? All those things that you think have brought you into a good standing with God, can you write manure across your list? And realize that, that in comparison to everything I've tried to do for God, it's never enough. It's never good enough. It can never attain the salvation that I desire. Again, all of my deeds in the flesh are loss. All of them. They will never save me. Now, beginning in verse uh, 7 through 11, he begins to lay out the other side, which is the true profit or the true gain that he has, uh, that he wants to put into his ledger sheet. Again, whatever things were gained in the flesh, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And so he begins in that verse to lay, here's what I've really gained in comparison. Once I came to faith in Christ, once I trusted in Christ as, as my Savior and Lord, these are the things that became true. These are the true gain in my life. And the first thing he says is that he, he got to know Christ. One of the things that he gained as he came to faith, remember on the Damascus Road, he was on his way to, uh, to arrest and persecute Christians. He was on his way to take them back to Jerusalem. He was full of zeal and anger against the Christians. But God stopped him. Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He challenged him, and he sent him. And so one thing that Paul learned on that road was that he was doing something wrong. Uh, the fact that he was persecuting these people and pursuing these people was not pleasing to God. It was just the opposite. But instead, he says, instead of that, I begin to know Christ. I begin to know Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything I thought I had, I'm getting rid of because of the value of knowing Christ. That so far surpasses everything else we can accomplish or have in this life. To know Christ to know him intimately, to know him deeply, to know him personally. One of the things about the table this morning is that it reminds us of the relationship we have with Jesus. He died to bring us into relationship with himself. He took care of our sins on the cross. And when we come to the table, it's, a, it's really declaring, I know Jesus because Jesus knows me. He's the one who saved me and brought me to himself. Now, again, in every, compared to everything else, the value of knowing Christ far surpasses the things I thought I had accomplished. And again, he says, just to be, uh, be sure you understand, it is rubbish. It is manure. And, and again, rubbish is that it's, it's I got to go back. It's just kind of a polite translation. Uh, if you really imagine, if you have a septic tank, 
you go out in your backyard and you open the lid and you crawl in and you go to the bottom and you scoop up a handful of whatever's down there at the bottom. That's what this word means. Paul says in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, everything else in your life is like that handful of of gunk from the bottom of a septic tank. You see, so often we think we're, we're a little bit better. We put so much pride and so much stock into the things that we have accomplished that we forget in God's sight it's like the bottom of a septic tank. Have you come to the place where you realize uh, that the things we have tried to do in our own strength really have no bearing whatsoever on our relationship with God except to take us away from him and to actually condemn us? I think as people, we so often put so much pride and stock into things that we've been able to do or to accomplish or to accumulate and we think that somehow by doing those things, God is, is going to be pleased and he's going to love me and he's going to save me. And, and so we bring all these things to God and say, God, look what I've done. And he says, that, that means nothing to me. That's a handful of septic tank junk. And so he begins to, to look at it and says, you can't do anything. You can't add anything. You can't accomplish anything to what I've done for you in Christ. So the first thing that Paul says is there is a surpassing value of knowing Jesus, especially compared to everything else. The best that we can accomplish is but this manure that we bring. It's rubbish. But Paul says the first thing he gained was a true knowledge of God, a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's something that we also gain in our relationship with him. The second thing Paul says in verse 9 is he gained a righteousness. Now, again, he had tried to develop a righteousness on his own derived from the law. He tried to keep the law and keep the commandments and do the right things and live a life that was, that was good, and he thought that was going to bring righteousness. But he says, no, I actually found the righteousness on my own was nothing. But there is a righteousness that comes from Christ. It comes by having faith in Jesus Christ. It's on the basis of that faith. All of those things he just listed that we would say made him a pretty righteous person he says, no, they're not righteous. There is a righteousness, though, that we need, and it's not the righteousness that we can produce. It's only a righteousness that comes on the basis of faith. The third thing he said he gained, uh, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Again, think about that. The power that it takes to raise somebody from the dead is the same power that lives inside of us by the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us if we have trusted in Christ for our salvation. The power of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to live a life that's pleasing to God. The power of the Holy Spirit produces in us true righteousness. The righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, it's being developed within us. He says, that's the kind of righteousness that I now have. I've given up my self-righteousness and I've now, given, uh, now believed in the righteousness of Christ. He also gained fellowship. Fellowship of sufferings, he says. You know, it's an interesting idea that it's not just fellowship with Jesus, but it's fellowship of his suffering. And we think of all that Jesus went through, all the things that he suffered, uh, that not only just at the, his passion, but all through the rejection he experienced throughout his life, the way people uh, mocked him and laughed at him, even his own family did not believe in him. 
he suffered throughout his life. And then when we get to the Passion Week and he has uh, the, the mockery of the trial and the beatings and the, the crown of thorns rammed into his skull and the, and the stuff that took place before he's crucified on the cross. And Paul says, I want to enjoy the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to enter into that same experience where I realize what my sin has done for Christ. My sin is what put him on the cross. My sin is what uh, he went to die for me. And so I have someone who I can have fellowship with who's gone through suffering. He understands it. He, he empathizes with me. And I have this, hate, this great high priest who knows what it means to suffer. And I can share in the fellowship of those sufferings with him. The fifth thing that, that Paul says there in verse 11 that he gained is the resurrection from the dead, that I may attain from the resurrection from the dead. There's that great hope that we have, that one day we will stand before the presence of God. We will be in his presence in heaven, and we will be there for all eternity, again, because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we have many things that we would say we've accomplished, and, and we think those are good, but think about that in comparison to standing face-to-face -face with Jesus standing in the presence of God, enjoying the fellowship of all of the believers from all of the centuries who will be there, joining our voices together and saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive blessing and honor and glory and power. We have the ability to do that and then try to say anything in comparison on this earth is going to be even remotely close to that. The Apostle Paul, who had, had lived a very righteous life, realized that he wants to attain to this resurrection from the dead. That's where his true hope is. That's where his true joy is. And if we can have that same recognition that, that we want to stand with Christ, and I too want to attain to that resurrection from the dead, the question is, so, so what? Well, we believe in Jesus. That's the ticket to get us into that place where we can worship him for all eternity. Now, again, <clears throat> we have a lot in our our profit columns that we need to put in the lost column. We need to write waste or rubbish or manure or, or whatever over all of those things that we've accomplished because they haven't given us anything in the presence of God. They haven't brought us into relationship with God. And so that all makes sense as we look at what Paul says. Well, here's what I had accomplished. Here's what I have actually gained once I've been in relationship to Jesus. And we can say the same thing for us. Here's all the things that I did thinking that was going to get me into God's presence. But here's what I actually gained when I simply trusted in Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Now, Paul fortunately doesn't leave us there. He says, now, but the question, but how do I live that out? How do I begin to live in, that, in, in the reality of all those gains? What is that going to do to my life? And so verses 12 to 14 he says, well, here's some steps we can take to begin living out the life of faith, to begin living out this life that we have now because of Jesus Christ. And the first thing to live that life is really the awareness that we're not there yet. Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. You know, again, we, we think of ourselves maybe too highly sometimes. And if you have any doubt that, that you, have, uh, you have not arrived yet or you have not obtained it yet, just turn to the person next to you and say, have I gotten there yet? No one's arrived. None of us are perfect. None of us have attained what Paul is talking about here. 
So he says, I have not already obtained it. I have not already become perfect. That's our goal. That's what we're moving toward. But right now, I'm not there yet. So we understand what Paul is doing. He's, he's telling people, basically, we, we think you have become perfect. You think you don't sin anymore. Well, the reality is we do. Remember when 1 John 1, uh, he says, if, if anyone says he has not sinned, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Well, Paul is basically laying that same foundation here. He says, I want you to realize that I'm with you. I'm in the same boat with you. Uh, I, I have not obtained it yet either. I have not already become perfect yet. And so the first step in trying to pursue this life of becoming more and more Christ-like is to recognize that we're not there yet. One of the great things about New Year's is that we have one day that usually we become a little more introspective in between the football games, and we try to say, you know, how am I doing? How did it go last year? What are some changes I need to make? The questions I have after the sermon there in your bulletin uh, are some of those kind of questions. There's also a handout. You may have gotten one or not there in the back uh, that have 31 questions that you can begin to ask yourself to examine yourself to say, how did I do last year? What do I want to accomplish this year? What do I want God to do in my life this year to make me more like Christ? Again, remember the Apostle Paul, 30 years after his conversion, is saying, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I can be. I'm not what I will be. The Apostle Paul realizes at the end of his life is when he says, I am the chief of sinners. Have we gotten to that honesty with ourselves? to realize that, no, we haven't arrived yet. The first step is simply to say that we're not what we should be, and we're not what we will be, thank God. But I think it's important because our culture tries to convince us that we're really much better than we are. Years ago, there was a book that came out that said, I'm okay, I'm okay you're okay. And it, it's a complete lie because I'm not okay and you're not okay. We're all a mess. And the reality is we look at what's going on to, to say that, no, I have to be honest with myself to realize that even though I'm in step with Christ and I've been walking with Christ for a period of years, I'm not there yet. I have a ways to go before I become like Jesus. And so that, that should begin to motivate us on this, this road. What do I need to do in order to, to attain to that? Well, the second thing he says is once we realize <clears throat> we're not perfect, now we need to begin to give maximum effort to pursue, and that's what he says. I press on, and, and the word to press on there is from the athletic world, and it means to strain and to exert tremendous energy and, and to, to give everything you have to move forward. It's an aggressive, energetic endeavor. Does that describe your Christian life? It doesn't describe mine very often. I think too often, again, one of the goals we should have ought to be to increase the intensity with which we're pursuing Christ. And can we really say with the Apostle Paul that, that I am doing everything, I'm giving everything, every fiber of my being is straining and pressing on to become like Jesus? That's what Paul is saying. Again, I can't say that. I want to say that, and I desire to say that, and yet the reality is I'm not there yet. So what Paul is encouraging us to do is, is to to have that mindset to say, I need to, to, to press on. I need to increase uh, my efforts in the, in the growth of Christianity. Now, hear me well. What he's not saying is, I have to increase my efforts so that God will keep me in his presence, or I have to increase my efforts so that God will love me more. God can't love you any more than he already loves you. 
And there's nothing we can do that ever remove us from that love. So he's not saying that. But what he's saying is that, that um, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And the offset of that is, for I am convinced that he who began the good work will bring it to completion. We have something to do. We strain and we toil and we exert effort so that we might become more like Jesus. And that's through some of the disciplines, it's through Bible study, through prayer, through, through coming to worship, through being in small groups, to being in Bible study. There, there's all kinds of things that we can do that exerts that kind of effort that's going to help us become more like Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says that I run in such a way that I might win. You know, is that your goal? Or just I'm kind of jogging along enjoying the scenery? There's so many stories from different Olympics of, of the runners who lost their focus. They, uh, instead of being intent, they, they lost their focus. And as a result of that, instead of straining and working and giving everything they had, they slacked off. And because of that, they lost. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul goes on to say, I buffet my body and I make it my slave. And, and that word often gets misused as I buffet my body. But we need to, again, we need to, to take that seriously. What am I doing uh, to, to try to become more like Christ? I'm not going to produce that. I know the Holy Spirit's going to produce that in me. But there's things I can do uh, to help along the word. It's, it's to work hard. It's to strain. It's to exert the energy towards it. And, again, that's the goal of, of all that energy expended. The third thing that Paul says is, is I press on so that, I may lay hold of. And so, so he says there's a goal that we have. Do you even understand what it is you're working towards as a Christian? Do you know what the goal of the Christian life really is? Do you know what it is that you're pressing on for? And Paul reminds and says I, I, that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, this is one of the most encouraging verses in Scripture because it says as we are striving, as we're exerting our, our energy and putting forth effort, guess what? Christ has already been there. He has already exerted the effort. He is already working on our behalf. Again, there's this synergism that takes place that, that not only are we working, but we're working in the power of Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. God has done the same thing for us, and I'm simply pursuing what God has pursued me for. God pursued me that I might become his child, and so I am pursuing being a child of God. God says, I want to save you and bring you into my presence. I'm pursuing being in the presence of God. I'm simply becoming more and more Christ-like because God says, I will become more and more like Jesus. So his goal that he set for me is the same goal that I have. He says that we will be perfect. I want to be perfect. He says that you're going to be in my presence. I want to be in his presence. He says you're going to continue to become more and more like Jesus. Well, I want to become more and more like Jesus. It's not that we have to come up with the goals and we have to make things up. God has already done that for us. The goal that we pursue is the goal that God gave us, and he hasn't left us on our own. He gave us the Holy Spirit uh, to give us the power to live in his strength and to begin accomplishing the things that he wants us to do. But again, it takes effort. It takes strain on our part. It takes toil on our part. It takes effort on our part. And that's what Paul wants to remind us. Work hard at it. Don't take your Christian life for granted. Don't think, well, now I'm a Christian, I can sit back and relax. Or, or the other really bad theology is, well, I can just let go and let God. You know, I don't have to do anything because God's going to do it all anyway. Well, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul says, your goal is fixed. Your, your future is certain. 
But here's some things you can do uh, in the process of becoming more and more like Christ. He says there's a goal, there's a prize that we're working towards, and it's the very prize that God has purposed for us. He saved us to become like Jesus. In Romans 8, remember, it says that, that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So it's a done deal. You will be like Jesus. But in the meantime, we strive and we work and we strain and we exert the effort. So Paul says, I'm using a maximum, maximum effort. I'm pursuing it with all of my might, the very thing that Christ has already pursued me for. The goal of Christ has become my goal. My goal is the same as the goal he has for me, that I can become like him. And I'm willing to put in the hard work to do that. Are we willing to put in the hard work and effort it takes to grow in our Christian life? Well, I come to church Sunday morning. That's great. That's a great start. You know, I might say, so next week, come to Sunday school. So you begin to add and to say, well, you know, I, I read the Bible uh, occasionally. Well, that's great. Read it a little more regularly. I would encourage you to, to, to get into a daily habit of Bible reading. We have Bible reading plans. If, if you need, there's all kinds of apps on your phone, things you can do to help lead you through reading through the Bible. That's one way we get to know Christ better. And one way we continue to grow in Christ's likeness. Well, the fourth thing that Paul lays out for us is he says we need to be focused. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Again, he's reminding them of that again. I'm, I'm with you, but one thing I do. Now, what's interesting in the Greek, the word I do is not there. What Paul says is but one thing. I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing. What's your one thing? What's your primary motivation? What's your purpose in life? Why do you exist? Well, the, the right answer is, you know, Westminster Catechism question one, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But besides that, what is your one thing in life? What is it that, that wakes you up with excitement every day? What is the one thing that you say, boy, that, that's where I'm headed. And for the Apostle Paul, he says, my one thing is to be like Christ. That's my one thing. There's my zeal. There's my pursuit in life. And again, one thing I do, and he says there's two ways to approach that. First is the negative is by forgetting what lies behind. And then the positive is to what? Pursue the things that are ahead. So what does he mean by forgetting what lies behind? This has been misunderstood and misused in a lot of different ways. And, and that's one reason I thought of this passage as well for today. Uh, this is a good time for us to kind of Look back and then forget. Uh, forget the things that have happened. Everything that Paul's already mentioned in verses 4 to 7 is part of his past that he wants to forget. Now, we are incapable of forgetting in a true sense because the thoughts can continue to pop into our mind. But what we are capable, about, capable of is to look at the things, write manure across them, and put them in the past and don't dwell on them. Many times when I, I, I've counseled people, they are so hung up on stuff in the past that they really can't live for the present and certainly don't have a goal for the future. They're blaming other people. They're blaming situations. They say, well, I wasn't raised right and my parents didn't do right by me or, you know, my, my, my wife is, is, is bitter or my husband is nasty. And, and we have all of these things that we accumulate in our past. Now, what I'm not saying is we don't deal with those. If you need to confess, confess. If you need to, to uh, somehow bring reconciliation, then reconcile. 
So, so deal with those things in the past, but then leave them there and recognize there's nothing in my past that I can bring into the future that's going to make any difference in my walk with Christ, if it's, a, if it's from a human perspective. My achievements, my deeds, my accomplishments, even my ministry, but also my sins and iniquities, failures, disasters, all of that, Paul says, I want to forget what lies behind. I want to forget those things that I relied on. I want to forget those things I trusted in. I want to forget those things that, that really messed up my life so that, why, I may pursue Christ. I may press on. I may, may become more like him. Paul says there's really nothing from our past that we should hold on to. There's nothing from our past that gives us any further standing now in God. God wants to deal with you today, and he wants to deal with you from today into the future. He doesn't want to say, I'm going to look in your past. Put the things behind you that are back there. Deal with them if they need to be dealt with, the good, the bad. But if, if you've come to know Christ, if you've placed your faith and trust in him, it really has no bearing on your now into the future. What matters now is you're empowered and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and you're pursuing righteousness and you're pursuing becoming like Jesus and you're pursuing these things that he's mentioned in this passage. That's what I want. I want to be like Jesus. And so I'm going to forget all the hindrances and all the stuff that's back there and I want to move forward so that I become more like Jesus. Again, I'm not saying we don't confess and forgive. I'm not saying there are things in the past that we need to deal with. But what Paul says, if we're relying on those things in the past, thinking somehow that's making us better in the eyes of God, or think somehow those things in the past are, are, are making us less in the eyes of God, Paul says you need to forget it. You need to put that behind you. You need to move on. Because if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you will never be worse off in the eyes of God. And he will not love you any more than he loves you at this moment. Forgetting what lies behind, we need to move on. It's, it's interesting that what God is interested in is what we're going to do now into the future. So Paul says, I press on, I reach forward, I strain forward, I lean forward. It's one of those words, again, it means to stretch every muscle to its limit. Have you ever tried to get something off of a tall shelf? And you're just straining, you're on your tiptoes, and you're, every muscle in your body is trying to reach that thing on the high shelf. Well, that's the picture Paul paints for us here. Do we pursue Christ in that same way? Are we on our tiptoes reaching and straining as much as we can because I want Jesus, I want to be like him? That's what Paul says we, we need to be doing. I press on, I, I continue uh, to put forth that effort. Forget what lies behind because you're saved by grace. Press on, move on, follow Jesus. Remember in Hebrews uh, 12 where it says, Let, let's lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and do what? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Move forward because you're in a race for him. Now, again, Jesus even reminded us that if we want to be a follower of hers, we do what? We, we deny ourselves and we take up our cross and we follow him. Part of that denying yourself is this forgetting the past. I want to deny all those things that I thought were good. I want to deny all those things uh, that were, were humanly bad because I now have a surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. My one goal in life is to be like Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to take away all those things that prohibit that. And, and number five, as far as a step, Paul says, we need to have a spiritual motivation and not a, a fleshly motivation. Notice in verse 14, he says again, I press on, there's that word again, 
toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So once again, Paul says there is a future hope. There's a future aspect of our lives. As we continue on, no, we're not there yet. We have a long way to go. But, but guess what? We have a goal that is this upward call of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that either when Jesus comes back uh, and he's going to call us to be with him, or if we die and go to be with him, we will be in his presence. That's what we live for. That's our motivation. We say that even that my life on this earth is nothing in comparison to the eternity I will have in the presence of God. That's not to, to again, that's not to say we diminish our lives here intentionally, but it does say we want to keep a motivation to holy living, a motivation to right living, a motivation to exerted effort, a motivation to have this focus on the goal that God has given me already. I want to be like him. I want to be with him. And I want to be holy. All because he wants me to be with him, and he says, I'm going to be holy. So my motivation is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Paul saw this, especially at the end of his life over in 2 Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And I'm now waiting for that crown of righteousness that the righteous judge will award me on that day. Paul had a future perspective. He had a, a goal to be with Jesus. Again, there, there's a list of questions. Use some of these to, to just spark your thinking and to begin saying, what is it that I need to, to do? What are some steps that I need to take in this new year to begin to become uh, more Christ-like? Or what can I do to begin to encourage me in those disciplines? So may, maybe one of the things is, is spend more time in the Word. Be honest, you know, things have crowded out my time and I just don't have time for it. I'm busy. You know, I, I get up early and I work out and I go to work and I come home and I take the kids to sports and then I, you know, I, I go to my small group and by the time it's bedtime, I'm exhausted and I start the whole thing over tomorrow. Well, can, can you somewhere carve out five minutes? Can you say, you know, I just want to read 10 verses out of the Bible today. Starting the Gospel of John is such an encouraging reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done. Or start in the book of Philippians as Paul reminds us what God has done for us in Christ. But all of us have some time we can spend in the word. It may mean we have to cut something else out, but it's important for us if we're pursuing Christ's likeness, if we want to, to, uh, to be the people that are straining and pressing on and, and growing, we need to spend time in the word. Maybe, maybe it's prayer. Uh, prayer is one of those areas, personally as well as corporately, we can never do enough of. And so maybe, again, we need to pray more, set some time aside. Uh, if you have time in the car as you're, as you're traveling to work or you're traveling to an appointment or, or something you're doing, just use that time to pray. Don't close your eyes, but use that time to pray as you're driving. Another thing, back to the word, if, if, if you have a longer commute, listen to the Bible. You can play the Bible and you can listen to it as you drive and use those moments uh, to be a little more productive. Maybe you need to find a mentor or a discipler. Uh, you know, maybe you say, I, I just can't do it on my own. I really would like to meet with somebody who can help me along the way. Well, one of the goals of CVPC is to set you up in a discipleship relationship where you can grow in your walk with Christ. If you need a mentor, talk to one of the elders. Talk to Pastor Dennis. Say, I really would like somebody I could meet with who can help me develop this kind of life. Or maybe you're the one who needs to come alongside somebody as a mentor. 
you've been walking with Christ a long time, you've got a lot of stuff that's in you that would be very valuable for a young believer. Again, talk to the elders. I would love to have a young believer that I could disciple, that I could uh, mentor in the faith. So in pursuit of the prize, Paul says, look, in Christ I have much, I have great gain. I'm not perfect yet in terms of my practical living, but I want to pursue that goal with all of my might. So why do you do it, Paul? To gain the prize. How hard do you do it with maximum effort? How focused are you, Paul? I concentrate on nothing else. How dependent on God are you? Completely. And when I fail, I trust that he will reveal to me my failure and move me out. So what's your secret, Paul? Consistent time in the word, consistent time in prayer, and consistently following an example. It's not that difficult. Ask yourself the question, are you pursuing the prize? Are you growing? Or are you standing in one spot looking backward? Are you, are you spending most of your time thinking about all the things that you've done? Are you trying to, to merit the favor of God by saying, if I just do one more thing, if I go to one more Bible study, if I read one more chapter, if I go to church one more time, then God's going to love me. Are you willing to say, I'm not what I ought to be, but at least I'm moving? I want to take the effort. I want to strain towards that. I keep pressing on. I keep moving forward. I keep straining to attain the prize that God has already designed for me to attain. And I pray this new year that that will be all of our goal, that we want to be like Jesus. And we want to do the things that are necessary, and we're willing to expend the effort in order to become more like him. You know, in the Alps, there's a lot of people who have died when they've fallen off of some of the precipices or trails in the Alps. And at the foot of one of those mountains that uh, uh, several people have died at, there's the grave of a man who was trying to climb that particular peak. He fell to his death. And his tombstone there is very simple. It just has his name, and then it says, he died climbing. Wouldn't it be neat in, in one sense if, if our tombstones would simply be our name and he died pressing on or she died pressing on? Because isn't really that the most important thing about us? That we are in pursuit of Christ. He's given everything we need. He hasn't left us by ourselves. He's not giving us a command and then sitting back and saying, good luck. He says, I've designed you to be holy. I've designed you to be like my son. I've designed you to be Christ-like. I've designed you to be with me for all eternity. Oh, and by the way, work at it. Work hard at it. You will make it. You will get there. God says that, that he's, he's promised that it's going to happen, but he wants us to be a part of that process. Again, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So as we begin the new year and as we come to the table this morning, Part of that is an opportunity once more to forget what lies behind. To say, Lord, I know I'm a great sinner and I've tried to rely on what I have done. I have not arrived yet. I understand that I'm not perfect. And, and you've asked me to become more and more like your son and I can't do it on my own. So there's that recognition of because what Jesus has done for us, we now have the ability to move forward and to press on. But it's also an opportunity as we meet with Jesus here at the table to be strengthened and encouraged that he comes alongside of us and he says, I'm with you every step of the way. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Forget all that junk in your past. Forget even the things you think you've accomplished in the past. Now let's make a new commitment and take a new step and a new direction for this new year that we will be people that press on, pursuing the goal to be just like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us a very gracious command that is to become perfect, but you haven't left us on our own, and certainly it isn't by our effort or by our abilities or by anything that has to do with us. But it's because Jesus Christ, first of all, died to forgive us and set us free from our past and from our sins. And then you've given us your Holy Spirit who lives within us, who gives us the power to press on and become more and more like Jesus. And you've given us your promise, which says we will one day be conformed into the image of your son. And you said that one day we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Father, my prayer for us in this new year is that we will not become complacent, that we will not become discouraged, that we will not become so caught up in the stuff of this world, either in our past or present, that we lose sight of our one thing. The one thing is to press on and to press on to become like the Lord Jesus Christ, to press on to become even more holy in our behaviors and to press on in our obedience to your word, completely dependent on the power of your Holy Spirit. So as we come to the table this morning, I pray your spirit would work in us and help us to get rid of those things, to forget those things in the past, and then to help us to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And it's all to your glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.